Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we jump in, we must warn you this episode contains explicit content, such as sexual abuse, that may be disturbing to some people. Listener discretion is advised. Also, if this is the first time you're listening to Sacred Scandal, everything will make a lot more sense if you start with episode one. In 2008, journalist Todd Bensman was one of the few guests allowed inside Silver Wolf Ranch. He knew the 340-acre Texas property, now valued at over $4 million, was not your average homestead. What he wasn't expecting to see beyond its gates was a very private vacation wonderland, heavily guarded and secured, with two lakes, an airport, a Wild West-themed playground with a functional saloon and an exotic game zoo. They had the baby bear on a leash. All of the lions and tigers were in cages. They had Clydesdale horses, gigantic Clydesdale horses. Yeah, they had ostriches. Exotic deer roamed around the grounds, grazing right in front of the sprawling mansions and the vintage car museum. They also had a, a barn that was filled with classic cars. And on the exterior of the barn, were painted the cars that were inside. They wouldn't let me go inside, but you know, clearly there was you know, significant wealth associated with the family. The family Todd Bensman alludes to is Samuel Joaquin Garcias. Samuel had purchased the ranch around 1997, and it was not exactly a secret. Its iron gates used to boast his giant, golden initials for all to see. Samuel's son and heir, Nason, hardly uses it anymore, not only because he is locked up in a California jail, but because he always thought it was too plain for his style. He preferred Ebenezer, his 114-acre California Redwoods ranch, or his vacation home in Kissimmee, Florida, right next to Disneyland. What first dropped Todd to Silver Wolf was plain old human curiosity. Well, I first heard about them when... I worked for the San Antonio Express News as an investigative reporter on their investigative projects team. And I would drive back and forth between Houston and Austin on I-10. And there was always this very strange looking, eye-catching dome that would 
pop out of the forest in the distance off the highway. So one day I just pulled off the highway and went to go look at it. And Todd, well, he had questions. I knocked on the gate. The gatekeepers informed Todd that Silverwolf was a privately owned zoo and that it wasn't currently open to the public. I asked who owns this place, and the person told me it belonged to this church, La Luz del Mundo. People started talking about, you know, their suspicions and uh, the strange comings and goings and limousines and airplanes. And, uh, and so that kind of caught my attention even more, and I just kind of kept reporting. Soon enough, Todd discovered that he was not the only one wondering about what was going on at Silverwolf. I found law enforcement that had done some some preliminary kinds of investigations, and there were aerial surveillance photos that I was able to look at. What attracted both the journalist and the police's attention to Silverwolf were the armed guards at its gates, the private planes, the domed mansions that sprung up practically overnight, and the tinted SUV caravans that arrived from time to time, carrying the apostles' royal family. The lifestyle confused the authorities, who feared the new owners could be drug traffickers. The ranch is registered as a non-profit wildlife refuge and sanctuary, which entitles it to generous tax exemptions. People occasionally show up at its gates, with picnic baskets and eager kids looking to catch a glimpse of the zoo animals. And they're always turned back, politely, by guards who tell them they're sorry. But Silverwolf is not open yet. Fifteen years after Todd broke the story, the ranch has not received a single visitor from outside the church, and its giraffes are known to die of broken necks while being improperly handled. That never stopped LLDM from fundraising to pay for its upkeep. This is Sacred Scandal Season 2, Episode 8, Show Me the Money. Hector Vera, a former deacon of the church in Bowling Green, Kentucky, remembers having to ask his flock for money over and over again. Y ponen de ejemplo a la viuda, ¿verdad? Dice que muchos estaban dando dando ofrendas y Jesús vio a la viuda y les dijo que ella dio más que los demás. Ella dio todo lo que tenía, sería poquito, no se compara las grandes cantidades. Hector describes one of LLDM's favorite biblical parables, the one about the widow who surrendered a single coin, yet Jesus saw she gave more than everyone else because she parted with everything she had. He goes on to mention there is a permanent insistence on giving, giving, and giving, where everyone is urged to make special offerings for the Joaquins, or for a construction project, or, of course, for the ranch. Entonces es una insistencia, dar, 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 y cada vez que la iglesia va... As it is with all the Joaquin's properties, the flock is asked to give more than money. Todd witnessed several local church members showing their devotion with hard labor at the Silver Bowl Ranch. I met several of them who said, yeah, you know, we all have to go work on it. And they are the labor force for 
maintaining the property and feeding the animals and whatever the family needed. They were not compensated. It was kind of a church duty, and they seemed fine. They didn't seem to have a problem. Most of them comply with this unpaid, unsafe labor happily, without even questioning it. Because even if the law might call this type of work indentured servitude, LLDM calls it a blessing. Sharim Guzman, who we met in previous episodes, received plenty of those blessings when he was a child, when his father volunteered for LLDM in the 1980s, constructing their grand temple at Hermosa Provincia. En realidad, la mano de obra en la luz del mundo, en la construcción de sus templos, es a raíz de sus miembros. No es pagada. A mi papá le pagaban una cuestión simbólica que eran como 150 pesos semanales. He says his father was given a symbolic amount per week, about 150 pesos, or seven to eight bucks. The church also sent the family a food basket with two pounds of beans, two pounds of rice, and other basic items. But that didn't keep Sharim's family from living in scarcity because he worked basically full-time for the church. His dad couldn't get a real job, earning real money. Pero mi papá estaba trabajando día y noche, ¿no? Entonces sí vivíamos con una carencia, porque en lugar de, de estar mi papá produciendo dinero real para su familia, pues lo estaba produciendo para la iglesia. Sharim says, since his father didn't make enough money doing free labor for LLDM, he himself had to go to work. He started when he was just eight years old. Mi papá no proveía el dinero suficiente Yo empecé desde los ocho años a, a, a empacar en un mercadito. He sold newspapers, cleaned car windows, mowed lawns and packed groceries. With the money he earned, his family could eat. And Sharim still put money towards the yearly family trip to Guadalajara for the Santa Cena. Sharim's story is not unique. In LLDM, any and all able-bodied members are expected to contribute as much as they can for the well-being of the church and its apostles. The strength of their faith is valued by the measure of their generosity. Besides spending most of their waking time fundraising for LLDM, they give at each of the three daily services collections. They are required to pony up at least 10% of all their yearly income, and on top of that, they save the whole year to give hundreds or even a thousand dollars each on the Apostle's birthday and during the church's high holidays, such as the Santa Cena. And there's more. When the Apostle's wife has needs, let's say, to decorate the house, a fancy dress for the holidays, or maybe a new watch, they give. Whenever the royal family wants a new car, a vacation, or a bigger garden, they give. And then there's all the LLDM merch, like the devotional books and the apostles' photographs to be prominently displayed in their homes. All that profit goes directly back into LLDM, supposedly for its international missionaries or for the temple upkeep. Elisa Flores, who grew up in a faithful LLDM family in Luling, Texas, peddled whatever she could on the street as a teenager. Everything was selling flowers, uh, selling candies, everything was always voluntary. It didn't matter how many hours you were there, but it was all for the glory of God, and it was always a blessing. And if you have kids, you got to take your kids. If their kids are in school, well, you got to make arrangements for somebody else to pick up your kids while you're selling, because you're not supposed to leave your spot. And all of the money goes back to the church. In LLDM, there are consequences if people don't commit to give all they can every time. Pastors keep a tally of how much each family ponies up. And the laggers are made aware of their shortcomings, more often than not, through public humiliation in front of the whole congregation. They stand you up 
and in front of everybody, you have to give an amount. And then on top of that, they they make you feel guilty that you don't have that much love for the apostle of God to give more money. And it's like, no, I have kids and this is all I can afford. And if shame is not enough, there's always fear. Anything that you do when you're in this cult is never good enough. That fear tactor that they use and they always use is that you're going to hell for anything you do wrong. Or sometimes you don't do enough. Like, let's say you didn't go help in this activity. Well, if God's going to punish you during that time because you didn't come and help sell roses and you got in a car and an accident, well, God's punishing you. And you're lucky that you just had a car accident and you didn't die because you would have went to hell because you weren't doing your activity. As Joel Silva points out, public shaming is just the beginning. There are other, more practical punishments for those that are not in good standing, meaning those who can't give as much as LLDM expects. If you're not in good standing, you cannot get married in church. Your sons or your children cannot be blessed in, in the church. LLDM believers are taught the servant of God deserves everything and that the apostles' glory shines down on them and becomes their own. So when the Joaquins come out, decked to the nines, driving luxury cars and flashing bejeweled watches, most people would never be able to afford. They get only loving, mesmerized looks from the flock. But is this enough to explain how LLDM's converts Most of them blue-collar workers are so willing and even happy to have their children hustling in the streets, often going hungry, to sustain the private jets, the designer clothes, the -the over-the-top mansions and playgrounds of the Apostles' family. Diane Benscotter, a leading expert on cults and coercive organizations, explains it better. It comes back to understanding psychological manipulation and how much that person felt at the time that it was God's will that this happened because there was such a mystique around the leaders that the victims often feel like this is what God wants. Even if it goes against everything is screaming in your body and your mind and your heart that this is wrong. She points to Jonestown, where in November of 1978, over 900 people committed mass suicide at the behest of a religious leader. Like Jim Jones convincing people that they should feed poison to their babies and watch them die in Guyana. It's very scary that that can happen on such a large scale. And in terms of scale, Jonestown has nothing on La Luz del Mundo. LLDM reports 5 million converts in over 50 countries, all generously emptying their wallets for the church on a daily basis. Most of it is off the books, untraceable, non-taxable, and slowly finding its way, in cash, into Hermosa Provincia's vaults, as we speak. More on that after the break. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. 
And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All over the world, at each community belonging to LLDM, some of the collected money is used to sustain the church's pious work. It is poured into companies owned by LLDM, but it ultimately flows into Fraternidad Levitica, AR, an institution founded in 2016 in Mexico for the sole purpose of gathering and collecting the incoming money. From there, the Apostle of God and LLDM's main bishop, Gilberto Garcia, can invest and disburse as they see fit, as long as they can write it off as church work, the upkeep of its temples, the building of schools and clinics, the pastor's salary or missionary travel, which may include, let's say, chartering private planes for the Joaquins to spread the word. And that's all perfectly legal, except for the wads of cash set aside and tightly packed into manila envelopes, sealed and labeled, for the servant of God. Those are then given to trustworthy members, oftentimes unconditionals, and quietly transported from their parishes all the way to Hermosa Provincia. Hector Vera walks us through how he once arranged the smuggling of thousands of dollars in cash from San Antonio to Guadalajara. Por ejemplo, cuando yo estaba en San Antonio, ¿verdad? ofrendaron 70 mil dólares para el cumpleaños de Samuel. Hector recalls a church in San Antonio that raised $70,000 for Samuel's birthday. 
Since it's illegal for a single person to travel with more than $10,000 in cash across the U.S.-Mexico border, he dispersed it among several trustworthy believers, who then carried their share into Mexico. Once the money reached its destination, Hector collected it back and delivered the total amount to LLDM's offices at Casa Jericó. This was, of course, all done off the books. And this was just one trip from one temple. LLDM claims to have almost 15,000 temples worldwide. Hector explains how, in each church, there are two different commissions. One for the temple, that takes care of the local building's maintenance and the overall daily expenses of the parish and one for finance that collects and manages the tithes, the odd donations and other fundraising activities done for the apostles and the LLDM as a global institution. En cada iglesia hay dos comisiones. Comisión de finanzas y otra de pro templo. Each commission is composed of three loyal church members in charge of collecting and allotting the minimum amount of money needed to keep their local temple running and growing and then getting the rest to the Joaquin's lair in Guadalajara. Hector tells us that, for their troubles, they receive what's nicknamed in the church as a Gomez, usually about $15 per hour. Quite a small amount to repay them for the criminal task of tax evasion and money laundering. And giving the generous amounts LLDM hustles out of his congregants, it's also really cheap. Joel Silva explains how the royal family relies on its believers not just for the church's work, but for any and all petty personal expenses. If they have a like a birthday party for their sons, they invite the church to cooperate to prepare the party, to serve the food, to prepare the food, to clean the place, so they don't put a penny for anything. Elisa was a first-hand witness of how the congregation's practical needs often took a back seat to the apostles' whims. Our money was just for the repairs of the church and the cleaning supplies, but everybody brought their own cleaning supplies, so I don't understand why we needed that. One time we sold for Samuel's birthday, which was Valentine's Day, we sold flowers and we made like $25,000, $25,000-something dollars. It was a lot of money. Elisa's church was in need of repair. The bathrooms were not working properly and a hefty plumber's fee was coming. She was happy they had collected so much by selling those roses because now they could afford both Samuel's gift and the repairs. And then, when she found out the apostle himself would be visiting her temple, well, she was ecstatic. But her minister had other ideas. The minister, Luis Cruz, comes to me. This money right here we're going to give to Samuel as a birthday gift. And I was like, uh, this money is assigned for the repairs of the restrooms. And then he says, I'm going to talk with the church on Sunday and they have to agree or everybody has to agree for us to give this money instead of to repair the restrooms. So he gets up on Sunday and he does this uh, this whole Sunday school about election, the election of the apostle of God and how without the apostle of God, we don't have life. And everything that we have is because of the apostle of God. He is the breath of our noses and because of him we have everything and he's like everybody who agrees raise your hand I didn't want to do it 
But I didn't want other people to think that I didn't have the faith and the love in the Apostle of God. So I raised my hand too. <laughs> I raised my hand too. And it's like, oh. So instead of being used for the well being of the congregation, imagine three long daily services with no working bathrooms. The collected money went straight into the Apostle's personal pocket. And that's when things were going smoothly for the church. When the apostle really needed money, like for a lawsuit or to make bail, for instance, the squeeze on the congregation would get turned up, way up. That's after the break. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When Asson was arrested, LLDM's already aggressive fundraising became frantic. 
The apostles' bail was first set at $25 million, but the judge soon opted to a record-breaking $90 million at the request of one of the prosecutors who noted that Nasson had been known to spend over $100,000 in a single visit to a clothing store in Beverly Hills. Judith Hernandez was living in Chicago at the time and remembers the church campaigning aggressively to get him out of jail, collecting money for the costs on sending letters in his defense to the press and to the DA. Like most LLDM members, Judith was convinced of Nasson's innocence. She was completely devoted to the cause of freeing the apostle. That's when she got a call from Nasson's sister. Fue cuando Betsy Joaquín me habla por teléfono y prácticamente me pidió que lavara dinero para la fianza de Nasson. Betsabe Joaquín, better known as Betsy, was calling Judith up for a favor. The church needed money for Nasson's bail. But LLDM couldn't use their own money because so much of it was off the books. So if Judith could donate money on the books, legally, they would have a traceable way to pay for the bail. Judith was listening until she heard how much Betsy was asking for. En ese momento estaban pidiendo cinco millones. Five million dollars. Now Betsy and Judith were close. Judith had been Betsy's aide and confidant for years. And Judith was a successful businesswoman. She could have come up with $5 million to give. But still, it seemed like a lot. Entonces, no sé por qué a mí, a mí me dio una corazonada como, ¿para qué necesitan la fianza si él va a salir? The phone call made Judith suspicious. Why did they need to pay bail if he was completely innocent? Wasn't he going to be released? She was a thousand percent sure of it. He wouldn't need the five million. He was going to be freed. God would manifest himself, right? Yo estaba mil por ciento segura de que él iba a salir. So she declined Betsy's request and told her she should look elsewhere. Y tengo entendido de que algunas personas aquí de Chicago sí prestaron dinero. Judith says some members in Chicago did come up with the money, but in the end, it wasn't enough. LLDM could not meet the staggering bail amount. And despite Judith's high hopes, Nasson was not freed. But nobody knows what happened to the millions of dollars raised on his behalf. And we know the church doesn't just traffic money. It also trades in more subtle forms of currency. We've mentioned before how LLDM peddles its members' votes as a way to curry political favors. Like the time in 2021, when Bishop Gilberto Garcia, whom you might remember as Ilem Garcia's father, and LLDM's main money man and filling apostle after Nasson's arrest, was recorded asking believers to vote for a particular candidate for Guadalajara's mayor. Muy buenas noches. Hoy, diputados del Partido Acción Nacional del PAN presentaron una denuncia. Una denuncia ante la Fiscalía de Delitos Electorales. That candidate belonged to Morena, Mexico's current president's political party. This might sound like just another Sunday in a U.S. church, but asking followers to vote for a specific candidate or support a particular political party is very much against Mexican electoral law. And as this Millennium News story reports, it resulted in one of the main opposition parties filing a complaint with the Office of Electoral Crimes. Carlos Lomeli. Recordemos parte de lo que dijo el ministro de Culto de la Iglesia y la Luz del Mundo en aquella reunión del 13 de mayo. 
This sermon was secretly recorded and is hard to hear. But if you listen carefully, you can clearly hear Garcia telling his flock that the alluded politician promised to fix the church's current problems, as long as they helped him get elected. Bishop Garcia stressed that this politician was close to the federal government and could introduce LLDM to anyone, even the president of Mexico. After Nason's arrest, the Mexican government had frozen the church's assets the ones collected by Fraternidad Levitica, a problem Garcia believed this candidate could solve. The meeting between Garcia and the candidate was facilitated by an organization known as Association of Mexican Professionals and Entrepreneurs, or APEM for short. Officially, it's just an organization for business owners to advocate for themselves but its true purpose is to grease the wheels for LLDM to meddle in politics, legally. It was formed shortly after Samuel's death in 2014, in the hopes of achieving Nasson's long-time dream to get his very own political party. Sharim Guzman worked as a political liaison for the church in Ensenada and was a valuable member of APEM. Ahorita han sido estratégicos en ese tema. Ellos tienen una asociación civil que se llama APEM. Sharim describes how the church was being very strategic. APEM is led by Rogelio Zamora Barradas, an LLDM bishop, ex-congressman, and ex-senator. Obispo de la Luz del Mundo, ex-diputado local y federal. ¿Cómo te explicas que uno un diácono de, eh, de la iglesia de repente es diputado federal? How do you explain a deacon from LLDM suddenly becoming a congressman? Sharim asks and then back to being a minister and now a bishop and also the leader of LLDM's most important territorial platform. He then answers his own question, because APM's structure influences all level of politics, from local to national. Entonces, la luz del mundo, a través de la APM, ahorita, utiliza los recursos que ya tiene, que es la iglesia. Those politicians, in turn, help advance the church's needs and agenda however they can. But all of that was not nearly enough for Nason Joaquin, the new apostle, the third in an illustrious line of servants of God. If Samuel had left his mark on the church by building a great, magnificent temple, Nason wanted to erect something less tangible, but way more powerful. Y te digo, a mí Nason un día me empezó, me dijo, me encargó que fuera viendo cómo formar un partido político. The day came when Nason finally tasked Sharim with forming LLDM's own political party. He explained to Sharim that because LLDM was chosen by God, they were uncorrupted and the country would be much better off led by the children of God. Y la PEM, pues es toda esa estructura territorial que te venden. Entonces, cuando ellos hacen un evento público o en campañas, lo hacen a través de la PEM, pero en realidad es la luz del mundo. Sharim mentions LLDM has people, a lot of people. Often since high school, young kids belonging to the church get signed up with APEM. The church gathers all these people from different states, municipalities, and neighborhoods they have a presence in. So when they do a public event or a campaign event, they do it through APEM. But in reality, it's all La Luz del Mundo. Through APEM, LDM fully lobbies and meddles into politics with plausible deniability. APEM's only objective is to push LDM's agenda and the apostles' public profile in the political arena. For example, 
APEM was responsible for securing Bellas Artes for Nason's birthday, and its headquarters are located right by the Great Temple in Hermosa Provincia. Yet they adamantly deny having anything to do with LLDM. The candidate Bishop Garcia mentioned in his secretly recorded sermon lost the election. But it didn't matter. Way before the results were announced, almost 20 million of LLDM's dollars were freed when a local judge accepted LLDM's injunction, asking for their goods back. The whole asset freeze lasted only a couple of weeks, and the prosecutor responsible for the inquiry was fired by the Mexican president eight months later. This past May 2023, LDM finally formed its very own National Political Association, or APN, called Humanismo Mexicano. In Mexico, APNs are threshold institutions before the formation of a political party. We spoke with Emmanuel Reyes, a sitting congressman and high-profile LDM member. Reyes helped found Humanismo Mexicano and currently belongs to the president's ruling political party, Morena. Quien atiende, quien revisa y quien pone en la agenda pública eh, eh, la palabra Humanismo Mexicano, pues es el propio presidente Andrés Manuel López Obrador. Reyes enthusiastically affirms that the person who supervises, defines and sets the agenda for Humanismo Mexicano is none other than the Mexican president, Andrés Manuel López Obrador. He goes on to say that what they want for Humanismo Mexicano is to do the organizational groundwork on behalf of Morena. Lo que nosotros estamos planteando es que Humanismo Mexicano sea un instrumento para poder apuntalar el trabajo organizativo de la Cuarta Transformación y de Morena. After clearly stating the new APN would very much serve the current president's political agenda, and only the president, Reyes adamantly denies Humanismo Mexicano has anything to do with, you guessed it, LLDM. Pues, eh, varios medios de comunicación han señalado que quienes estamos al frente de la Agrupación Política Nacional eh, somos integrantes de la Iglesia a la Luz del Mundo. Reyes claims that some media groups have stated that the people leading Humanismo Mexicano belong to LLDM, that the APN is just an arm of the church, and that they have seek to harm them through deceit by using religion to discriminate against them. One more time, he stresses it loud and clear. This APN has nothing to do with LLDM. Y por lo hemos dicho de una manera clara, frontal, este, que la agrupación política nacional nada tiene que ver con la eh, asociación religiosa La Luz del Mundo. They may deny it all they want. This unholy alliance between LLDM and the powers that be has always been very palpable in Mexico. But the church's political tentacles have since extended worldwide. In 2019, days before his final trip to Los Angeles, Nason Joaquin visited a new church project in El Salvador, Ciudad de la Luz. En mayo de este año, el líder de la Iglesia Luz del Mundo, Joaquín García, colocó la primera piedra donde se construye el proyecto urbanístico. A news report from a local El Salvadorian news station describes a 256-acre plot of land located right along the side of the highway near the capital's international airport, slated for LLDM development. Deben de tener templos que son áreas de adoración a nuestro Dios. 
In this speech, Nasson describes everything that will be built on the site. The shopping markets and sporting arena, the sanctuary and temple capable of holding over a hundred thousand members, the more than a thousand housing units, several hotels, a university, a hospital, markets, offices and parks. The total investment would top over a two hundred million dollars. Touring the site with his boots and a hard hat merely a week before his arrest, Nasson was in very good company. By his side was President Nayib Bukele, who had bestowed the apostle with the title of Distinguished Visitor of San Salvador, way back when Nasson first visited in 2005, when Bukele was merely the mayor of San Salvador. In esta zona del Aeropuerto Internacional hay más proyectos de grandes inversiones en la que están interesados varios empresarios. But it is not only south of the Mexican border where the Apostle has grandiose expansion plans. Here in the U.S., among the verdant forests of Georgia, along the shores of Lake Lanier, 270 acres await for the City of Light to spring right next to the town of Flower Branch. This LLD metropolis would rival its sister cities to the south, if it ever sees the light. The local community has rallied against it since before Nasson's arrest. But that's not all. LLDM's political influence continues north along the I-95 corridor. In 2019, the Texas Senate honored the apostle by name. Anaheim, California gave him the keys to the city. And there's official Nasson Joaquin Garcia days in both Delavan, Wisconsin, and Washington, D.C. Alcaldía de Washington DC, es un placer estar con ustedes en esta noche celebrando este día y reconociendo la gran labor de su líder espiritual que tienen en la Iglesia Luz del Mundo. Here's a video from 2015 of Jackie Reyes Yáñez, then acting as Washington DC's director of the mayor's office on Latino affairs, officially recognizing the great labor of LLDM's spiritual guide and declaring the first Nason Joaquin Garcia Day right on the seat of all the US political powers. The amount of economic and political muscle LDM has amassed throughout its history by shrewdly colluding with early powers is staggering, and it buys the royal family much more than fancy clothes, jewelry, and luxurious houses. It also buys them silence and impunity. Nobody knows it better than those who have dared to confront LLDM and face the full weight of its power. To be part of this chosen group, you give up your autonomy. That's the trade-off. When you leave, it's hard to reclaim that. You realize that, okay, I can't be part of this anymore, but I don't know who I am. That's next on Sacred Scandal. Sacred Scandal, La Luz del Mundo, is a production of Exile Content Studio, in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network, and is hosted by me, Roberta Garza. Produced by Sabine Jansen with the help of Estela Emmett, Reynolds Gutierrez, and Ana Isabel Octavio. Written by myself, with help from Maribel Quesada-Smith. Research by Roberta Garza. Additional reporting by Florencia González-Guerra-Garcia. Engineering by Hugo Mendoza and Sabine Jansen. Sound design by Gonzalo Messi. Original music by Patrick Hart. Edited by Ryder Alsop, Maribel Quesada-Smith, and Rose Reed. 
Executive producers are Rose Reed, Carmen Graterol, Isaac Lee, and Nando Villa. Daniel Bautista oversees audio at Exile Content Studio. Our executive producers at iHeart are Giselle Vances and Arlene Santana. Sacred Scandal was created by Melanie Bartley and Paula Barros. Special thanks to Monk Music Studios. Archival clips from this episode are from Millennium and Canal 12 Noticiero Hechos in El Salvador. For more podcasts, go to the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. In the recent history of documentary filmmaking, one scene stands out above all. The hot mic bathroom confession of Robert Durst in The Jinx. Now, the person responsible for that moment, Sereb Kaufman, stepson of the victim, friend of the murderer, star of the documentary, for the first time ever, shares why he believes you're watching the furthest thing from the truth on this exclusive episode of Murder Homes. Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.